Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. working with Donna Zuckerbrot and his son Josh Zuckerbrot. And Daniel's a, a filmmaker, he's a documentarian, he's a, he's a philosopher, he's a magician, he's a thinker, he's a guy who, uh, in, in my mind, is incredibly thoughtful and concerned about a great uh, many things. We, we talk about uh, David Suzuki and the environment, we talk about, uh, well, we sort of talk about what it means to be an aesthetic vegetarian, but uh, that's just a little bit of a tease for you vegetarians out in the audience. But we do talk about the film business, and we talk about compromise, and we talk about passion and purpose, and, 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 and the Canadian film business. We talk about great documentaries as a whole, and about Michelangelo, and, and, and who exactly was his client. And, and, and we talk about this idea of you know um, being in the middle of this filmmaking process and wondering, where did my story go? Um, so fascinating conversation with Daniel. Uh, as I said, thoughtful guy. You'll hear a little bit of noise in the background, and that's Isis and Cleo, two really big dogs. And uh, lovely, wonderful, but they were, in fact, a part of the interview as well. So if you do hear them, uh, you'll know why. Um, Daniel Zuckerberg coming right up. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my podcasting and about my uh, speaking and about my writing and, on, uh, and my, you know, connections to face-to-face, you can help uh, uh, support that through patreon.com uh, if you're interested and keep us uh, live and keep us going. And don't forget rabble.ca for more information about other podcasts, but also uh, other uh, interviews that I've done with face-to-face as well. So stay tuned for Daniel Zuckerberg coming right up, real-time images. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another very special guest today, a filmmaker, another filmmaker. Imagine that. Uh, Daniel Zuckerbrot is here today from uh, Real Time Images. Uh, that's the name of the production company. And uh, Daniel is kind of 
Um, he's, uh, um, he's got his fingers in a lot of things, and including being an aesthetic vegetarian. So we're going to get to that a little later. Daniel, thanks for your time today. You're very welcome. So you've pretty much been a filmmaker all your life. Producer, creator, writer of some kind. You've been dabbling for years. Yes. I, I worked on my first film, first film in, as a researcher in 1974, I think, 1975, while I was sort of in university, not a summer job. And, and, and only in Canada? Can I, would you call yourself a Canadian filmmaker, capital C? I would. I mean, our our films, I've done films for, for, often we work with international broadcasters. So we'll have an American broadcaster as right. a partner or a European. But um, but certainly I'm, I'm a Canadian filmmaker. And, um, and is that what's, and are you a Canadian fil filmmaker because you live in Canada? Or because there's something about Canadian stories, Canadian I don't know, the Canadian ethos that has appealed to you in a way that other types of filmmaking hasn't. Yes, I think I'm inescapably a Canadian filmmaker nice. for a number of reasons. I mean, I, I wasn't born here, but I was raised here. I've been here since I was an infant. And, um, you know, because the niche that, that we, I say we because real-time images is, is me, my wife Donna, and our son Josh. And um, it's a little family business run from our kitchen table. Nice. But we we have are in a particular niche. We're not, you know, we don't make films for festivals, even though sometimes they end up in festivals. Okay. And we don't make films as as journalists or hobbyists. We're documentary filmmakers who work in international television documentary, primarily. So we, you know, it's not something I do sometimes or, or as a, you know, occasional activity or to simply to express myself. Even though it can be all those things, it's how we've made a living and how we put our kids through school and, and all that. So, I'm one. It. I'm one of those guys you just described because I'm trying to make a movie about, as we've talked about, uh, this soon retana, this Cambodian former child soldier, and I'm starting to dabble a little bit here and there. I think and, it's great. Yeah. No, it is neat, and it's kind of, I mean, it's a whole new world, right? I mean, people can take a camp. I mean, you can do it on an iPhone, right? You can make a seven-minute film or a 65-second film, right? On a, on or a longer. Just or longer. Just it together. It, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, from 1974 to now as a researcher, I mean, things have changed so radically. Oh, yeah. It was but a I, world of film and... Yeah, it was so different, right? Canisters and just equipment. I mean, what a what a different uh, way to tell stories. Um, you're inescapably Canadian. What what does that mean? Well, I mean, partly because I was raised here. This is the environment yep. Yep. I grew up in. These are the values I imbibe. But um, but also because, and this is why I was getting lost in the thing of industrial filmmaking, is I'm part of an industry that that relies. For, on Canadian broadcasters that relies on Canadian cultural monies. There's a you know, Canadian media fund, tax credits. Like most industries, we tap into that. Now, this, this industry I'm talking about is actually coming to an end. It doesn't exist as it did even two or three years ago. You know, in Canada, you know, so documentary is very popular now. Yes, right? yeah, it seems the to festivals, be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's a few big docs every year. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of What's actually on your television, 
there's in terms of broadcast in Ontario there's the CBC who has Nature of Things that does science and related documentaries, science and nature. Um, there's uh, First Hand, which does documentaries, usually from a POV kind of doc. Sure, yeah. TVO does two or three a year, I believe, so there are more than five or six. Um, and that's about it. There used to be, for a long time, the, the specialty channels would were into documentaries, so Discovery did science right, docs, right, right. History Channel did history sure. docs. That hasn't been true for many years, right? You know, History Channel does, well, I don't actually know. They do feature films, yeah. dramatic films, yep, yep. and they do sort of those game show things and, um, you know, reality shows like uh, Pawn, Pawn Stars. Right, yes, yeah. I've seen Those are all history. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Yeah. You know, it's a long ways from the con. So, so it sounds like it's about money, but it sounds like it's not about money. I mean, we've got this level of interest in doc film that seems to be growing, and yet I'm hearing, I think, from you, this pool of money or pool of um, hmm, broadcaster influence or interest is dropping. It's dropping, and I think it's good that it drops. I oh, think, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's... Look, I mean, it was it was a model that, that allowed me to make a living, and, and I appreciate that. And sure. And I mean, you know, it, it of all the arts. So, for instance, Michelangelo had a client when he painted the Sistine Chapel. He didn't get to do to express himself freely. He had a subject matter. I'm sure the Pope came in and said, no, no, I want the wings right. like this. Can't you use really purple? It shouldn't be, you know. And that was the, the situation for most artists through most of our, our time, I guess. You know, except, I mean, I'm sure there were always amateurs. But um, it's very true of, of the film business. And everybody always points out that it's the film business. You know, film is the million-dollar pencil. You know, if you want a, you want a freedom to create, you write a novel. If you want to make a film, you had to, and I use the past tense there, you had to, have been prepared to to answer to come to terms with somebody else's agenda, right? And certainly that was true for television. And so you weren't you weren't you weren't creating art for art's sake. In other words, you no, you, you had a product, you had to deliver, every, you had deadlines, you had a Gantt chart. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. And, and I still think that that discipline of television is great, and and for filmmakers, it's it's a wonderful thing to go through, to have that discipline and know you can deliver on budget, on schedule, no matter, you know, come hell or high water. Right, right. That's great. But you're dancing to somebody else's tune. Right, right. right. And, you know, for us, what we, what we tended to do, and we, it's one of the reasons we never tried to become a big company. You know, we didn't want to do films we weren't interested in. So we tried to find a compromise where we were doing films that interested us and meeting the broadcaster's needs. They were putting up the money and we would, you know, try to keep them happy. They were our clients, but still do the films we sure, wanted to sure, do. Sure, sure, sure. And, and generally, we were able to do that. Generally, we found broadcasters who, who were interested in the same things, who had the same kinds of sensibility as we did, and that made it possible. Did you ever find that... Um, um... You know, you had to, I've heard this from other filmmakers. I've, I've been fortunate enough now to interview a lot of documentarians at Hot Docs and Human Rights and Film Festival and TIFF and so on. Um, 
that, uh, and these are filmmakers now that we're talking about have taken three and five and seven and sometimes 10 years to make films, totally the opposite of you and, and how you've approached it, you know, from, from a business perspective, let's say. But did you ever find those editorial decisions or, or um, artistic decisions where you really, you know, you're in a boardroom and you go, no, sorry, we're not going to do that because, yeah, I know we have a contract with you, but we got to keep this in. Or, you know, did you ever run yeah. up against a, a lot of that or did you just no. sort of work that out? over time yeah. i mean that's part of being a great director i suppose too right how do you manage all of that right you're, you're managing yeah. everything right you yeah. are a relationship manager at some absolutely point. You yeah are. but yes the answer is yes we did run we have run into those kinds of situations but rarely huh. rarely where they actually were not resolvable right. rarely where right. we said you know take my name off this production or right. screw you you know you're right. getting right. our cut and right end of the right. relationship but we also do other things i mean we we we're currently working on a film that we've been working on for three years. We have no no broadcaster for it, Interesting. even though we did receive some initial funding. Um, hopefully, it'll be rather than the next year or so. But it's a, a, a passion project, and um, we usually try and do have something in the works that we're not that we have no strings attached to that we're doing simply for ourselves. Um, sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think you understand that, you know, it's a little bit akin to the situation you may find yourself in. Hopefully you don't. But projects that you start and you work on and you film and they just don't happen. At some point you, you shelve them and hopefully yes, yes. finish them sometime in the future. Well, what's interesting about what I'm working on, and it's kind of interesting that we're even chatting about it, is is total passion project. And yet I've realized in the last little while, in order to get this made, because I don't have the skills, I'm kind of the producer, I suppose, director, if you want to call it, small d, I need to bring in some experts, some pros, and I can't do that unless I'm in a class with a whole lot of other passionate students who want to make this film with me. I need to raise some money to hire a few pros. Um, and that's why these projects do take so long and, and, and do take so much commitment and why I want to stand up and applaud, you know, doc filmmakers who have taken seven and eight and ten years. I mean, the commitment's crazy, right? The commitment to the story, the commitment to social change, it seems to me, is also... Often really interesting speaking of social change you've done a lot of work with david suzuki the nature of things science yeah. environment climate tell me about that a little bit so, i mean that's that's got to be pretty i mean that that's got to be kind of a combination between passion and profit absolutely <laughs> absolutely i i was i was really lucky i was really privileged to have this relationship with both david and the nature of things um and it started when i was was young i worked on one film I had a, a pal who was a director who had been hired by CBC who, who encouraged me to go talk to Jim Murray, who was then the executive producer of The Nature of Things. And, and Jim had two things he loved, film and the environment. Those mm. were his, mm. his two big passions, and, and he was c totally committed to both. And he was fearless. He didn't care about ratings or the, the job description or right. his, the, his right. bosses. Right. And, and they lived in fear of him. Right. You know, um, because he was such a passionate and honest and direct person. And Jim, to my great luck, allowed, you know, took me on. And, and you know, I, I, would get, I would work, you know, one day a month sometimes and sometimes three days a month. And then it grew into, you know, 
kind of an internship, sort of. It was. I mean, it was a, it was a, a job. I'd get paid. I'd get paid for you know the amount of days I worked, and and um, he, you know, it just grew, and and I was not in a hurry. I wasn't. I saw a lot of people come in who had, you know, finished film school. They got a job there and and quit, you know, a month later because they weren't directing films. Right. Right. Uh, and right. I, I didn't know shit, and I wasn't in a hurry. Right. But I was interested in science. I was passionate about about activism, environmental activism, and and uh, this was and during nineteen the eighties and early nineties under Jim Murray's um, uh, during his tenure as the executive producer, the nature of things became the environmental activist film production unit in the world. So, you know, there was a BBC who has a huge tradition of natural history filmmaking. We used to sometimes meet those guys at the field or in conferences. Right. And they were always jealous because they had much bigger budgets than we did. They were doing much higher, you know, blue chip natural history kind of stuff to international acclaim. But they couldn't address the environmental issues that they were concerned about because it wasn't in their mandate. Oh, okay. Right? So, you know, they would do a film on you know, the white grizzly bears of this park. Right, right. And you'd have this wonderful photography and this wonderful story and you'd learn all about the bears. But they wouldn't show you the huge road that was cutting through that park where the bear, bears were getting hit by trucks. Right. Right. For us, that would be the focus of it. We would talk about the bear and its environment. That was Jim's mandate to us, right? The creature in its environment. And the environment as it is, not as you want it to be. Right, right, so, right. Which is a pretty interesting comment about documentary filmmaking as a whole. Werner Herzog would say, I don't really care if it's true or not. I just want it to be a part of the story because, you know, truth is sort of, I don't know, small T or capital T, I suppose, depending on your perspective. But I want it to tell, I want it to be a part of this bigger story that I'm trying to tell about the environment or whatever. So uh, do you, would you fall into line with that? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you're more, you want a wide angle on this. I'm old school. Right, right, right. I don't, you know, I, I'm not hard ass. You know, the, the, I don't know if you followed the recent controversy about the eagle hunter. No. It's a beautiful film. Um, oh, I know the film. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there was yeah. the BBC. Yeah. Mongolia, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was um, some articles written about, is this documentary? Because there was a bit of a controversy about how much of it was staged. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, there are people who are real hardline about stuff like that. Um, when I worked with uh, Patrick Watson, who you know, um, he was he was re- representing History Channel at this juncture. This many years ago, for a series called The Canadians. And Patrick was very opposed to any kind of reenactment. Yes, I remember having yeah. conversations with him way yeah. before I started doing the podcast. Yeah. I remember this. Right. Yeah, and and because he saw it as a slippery slope. Interesting. Right? Okay. If people yeah. don't know that this is real, right? You right. Know, if you put doubt, if you what, where where is the line? Right. Right. We shouldn't be showing things that aren't true and claiming it's documentary. I mean, you shouldn't use animation or illustrations. Oh, it, it raises some pretty interesting yeah. questions as a so filmmaker. I'm, I'm ethics, not, right? The yeah. ethics of filmmaking—it's huge. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not hardline about it, but but I certainly f- I'm a believer in truth with a capital T. Right. 
truth from a perspective, no doubt. Yeah, no sure, doubt, sure. Nonetheless, sure. Truth. Yeah, but you're doing a disservice not only to the environment, to the polar bear, to the uh, to storytelling if you don't show the road. That's right. Right, that the the polar bears are getting hit by. It seems to me, anyway. But again, if you're now being driven by, say, uh, profit uh, and a broadcaster who says we need to do X and Y, this is why I guess I'm hearing Jim was such a incredible find for you. Yeah. You know, filming the environment. So, so I don't know. I'm hearing passion really drives, you know, what you do and commitment to the cause and all those things. And yet, you do kind of have to dance a bit of a. a if you Michelangelo know. could do it, I'm in good company, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. The Pope, I mean, I, I won't uh, ever forget that. The Pope comes in with his notepad. Yeah. Yeah, can we get a little more purple over here? I mean, come on, Michael. I mean, what are you, what are you doing to me? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's true, right? That's right. So absolutely, you got to be like that. And Michael, of course, is thinking, okay, I can charge him for that in an extra. That's yeah, right? I'm going to make my money back here. To... <laughs> got to build more scaffolding. Come on. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. Um, so, so... Creatively, what what I mean, you played you played every role. It sounds like to me. I mean, researcher. You know, you may before the recorder was on, you commented about sweeping floors to me in another job that you had years ago. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But you've produced, you've directed, you've written, um, you've edited, no doubt. Where, where where do you where do you get the most joy? Where do you take the most pleasure? Would you say is it is it watching it at the end, seeing it all come together? You know, the whole process is great. It can, there are moments that are terrible. I, I bet. Right? When, I you, bet. when you've done the thing, you've shot it all, and you're, you know, you've got miles and miles of tape, and you're saying, where did my story go? You know, many sleepless nights That's trying funny. to... It's a great you know, line. But, uh, but that whole puzzle of putting it together and you know, watching it come together and and the collaborative nature of most filmmaking. I mean, it's all, for me, that's all a great joy. The research period is wonderful. You know, you mm -hmm. talk to, to people who know their stuff. It's great. You're interested in something, you call mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. some mm -hmm. guy who actually does this, you know. Oh, you just won the Nobel Prize for I don't know what. You got a few minutes. Well, making and I guess, a film. You know? Well, and having the nature of things on your business card is not going to hurt, right? I mean, that's going to—it's yeah, a calling card of a sort. Certainly, right? in those in those environments, in the scientific sure, world, the medical sure. world, and the, the environmental world, it was a powerhouse, and it was certainly had an international reputation and, and opened many doors. And we tried to be attentive to that. You know, we, we tried to make sure that the next filmmaker who came along would get a good welcome. Try not to burn people out or to to misrepresent right. them. Or right. to, you know, we wanted our scientists to to feel like they that they recognized themselves and their work and what we were presenting. That's not always the, the case for science journalism. Right? Most of what you read in the media, you know, if you went back to the scientists who were doing that work, they wouldn't be very happy. Right. Right. No, for sure. Uh, it's interesting. Are are you a doc filmmaker or are you a journalist? When I started Nature of Things, David said to me, uh, "Oh, so you want to be a, a science journalist?" And I said, "I don't think so." Right, right. <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't. I didn't start off. I didn't start off thinking I should be a filmmaker or a documentarian hmm. or a journalist. It right, right. Evolved, right. and I, I certainly like doing science docs. I've I've had a long interest in science and and, and dabbled with the idea of, of doing graduate work in history of science 
before I was saved by filmmaking. Right. <laughs> but um, so it's a deep interest, but I'm not a scientist and, and I'm not a journalist. Um, when Mark Starowitz was the head of documentary for CBC, we had a bit of a tiff because I said, I'm not a journalist. And he got very upset with me because of something who sees himself. As a journalist, I'm sure. Well, and there's a certain protocol, and there's t- the ten steps to being a better journalist, right? There's certain yeah. things you do in order. to I'll tell you, that. I never had an interest in being a journalist. Today, uh, I would, uh, I would consider if I was a kid going, looking for a job, I, I would consider becoming a journalist. huge responsibility today yeah. in this I'm world of ever, again right? of alternative facts. Holy cow! I mean, yeah. it's just well, it's interesting. You know, I've been I'm coming up on 300 interviews. I've been doing this now for a few years. I've been introduced a few times as a journalist, and I'm actually really uncomfortable with that. I'm a conversationalist. I'm a guy who loves film, and I'm here to chat with you about what this great movie you've made. That's it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I'm here to celebrate. You know what you do. You know what I mean. That's and a so, kind of journalism. But it is a kind of journalism in a sense, isn't yeah. it? When you start to ask deeper questions. So so conduct. So I'm with you. Yeah, I'm good. in the same. Boat. Good, good. Um, I sleep. I, I can sweep a pretty mean floor too. So it's we're in good company. Um, can documentary film change the world? Does it change the world? Is it incremental? What changes the world? Uh, I mean, it's part. Yeah, it's part of the the thing. You know, you see a. I'm, I'm sure it's happened to you. You see a documentary or a drama. You yep. see something. Yep. You you read a book. You see a news thing, and you shift your perspective. You act slightly differently. You. Or or nice. it yep. shifts you a lot, and you change direction, and you do something new with your life. So yeah. I mean, it's all part of our ongoing communication, isn't it? And, and communication changes the world. And, you know, the documentary or whatever, I mean, it's all telling a story of some kind, whether it's a real, a truthful story. Right, right. It doesn't mean that, I mean, you can have a drama that's a truthful story, sure, no doubt. Sure, sure. Within its own... I like to talk about <laughs> pointing to truth. Hmm? I mean, I, I'm a capital T truth guy, too, but I'm a small T truth guy. I mean, I, I, so... so uh, I, part of the reason I wouldn't like a reenactment is because most of them are just so poorly done. It's not it's a, so it's much a about the thing. true thing. It's because I think it can it can. It's know, an aesthetic issue. It's an it's an aesthetic. Yes, yeah. a lot of things are yeah, aesthetic yeah, issues. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So so well, what's interesting, you know, you mentioned earlier about this collaborative nature of filmmaking. That's one of the things that's always fascinated to me. Me, I wonder too, and I wonder if David Suzuki, if he was here, if he would say the same thing from an environmental perspective. You know, is change collaborative? You know, so this idea that I'm reading a great book and then I come across a great poem and then I see a great film and I'm having a conversation later that week and you go, oh, okay, now it all makes sense. But without those steps, it wouldn't have come together in that moment. I'm sure David feels like that. And he often tells um, stories along those lines. Like, he, you know, David's a, uh, you know, an accomplished scientist. He's an accomplished writer. He's an accomplished, you know, television host and all that. He's a pretty humble guy. I mean, he knows his wor- his own worth, but he's he also knows its limits, and he's right. all, very quick to tell people that look, you think I'm David Suzuki who you see on television, and I'm that because there's somebody who writes my lines, and there's somebody right. who right. you know takes a you know makes me look great, and there's somebody who makes me sound great. You know, he's very uh, aware of the. The, the theater of it. The theater of it and the enormous amount of effort by different people that go. Sure, sure. For the same, I'm sure, with his foundation. You know, it has yeah, his sure, name sure, on it. Sure, sure, sure. But, but it's the, an enormous 
teamwork of dedicated people. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. yeah no doubt. Yeah, yeah. So so I've heard rumor that you've dabbled in magic, sleight of hand magic over the How, years. Who told you that? Oh, you know, I've heard it from a few different I, I do my research, Daniel. Has that had an impact well, I've in, been, I, in, in I, the, I, the way you make film and the and the story and maybe more importantly, the 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 stories that you uh that you, you look for? Um Yes, yes. I think on on both levels. I think it's all part of the same. If this was a video podcast, by the way, we'd be I'd be asking you to show us something right yeah, now. Well, is, yeah, well, you'd be out of luck. <laughs> I, I perform very rarely these days. I still do occasionally. Okay. But very yeah, rarely. Yeah. And never in front of magicians. Right. And never in front of magicians. That's a good idea from what I understand. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, historically, the two, magic and filmmaking, are intertwined. Yeah, very much so. You know, and and um, and I think they remain intertwined. You know, the magic of the movies is a real part of magic. But um, you know, more concretely, I, I Donna, my my wife and partner in in filmmaking, and I both are magic fans of magic, and we look for opportunities to do films about magicians. Hmm. So, and magicians and related and related sort of topics. subjects. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. Um, Donna's done films on related to perception, things right. on you know, right. uh, sort of hypnosis and trance and right. perceptual right. issues, uh, as well as she's done biographies of well witchcraft, seances. I mean, there's oh, so many different right. things. So we've done a lot of, of that, as well as doing a lot science, of science. Natural science, right? Go back. We can go back to Paracelsus. When, when's your doc on Paracelsus? We go. We go out? back further. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we've done. We did a whole series um, some years ago called Enigma, on unusual beliefs on individuals. So we did, you know, tarot cards and oh, Houdini's cool. death and the, yeah. you know, zombies and. Well, it's such a rich world to draw from. The more the more I learn about it, and I've been, you know. As most of my listeners know, and you know too, I've been studying it for years, and it just—I'm always blown away at the, the of what I don't know about the history of magic. Oh, that guy did magic too! Like, are you kidding me? Lot. You know, and and the connections are just—I mean, I think that's what I'm learning. I, I'm less and less of a performer all the time, and more and more of a almost—I don't know—a historian, I guess you could, or an academic. I'm yeah, just, I just, I say just a love fan. the connections. <laughs> What's that? I, I just say I'm a fan. You just say you're a fan. Nice, but but uh, it is a little more studious than that. So so let's wrap it up here in a couple of minutes. But but so so what's next filmmaking wise in Canada? You know, you're you're inescapably Canadian. I'm sure a lot of young filmmakers listening to this are the same. Um, I would I've never referred to myself as that, but I I think I would probably fall into that category as well. Um, what's Amazon doing? What's what's Netflix doing? Well, that's the, the big way question, filmmaking, isn't it? You know, like what and you you said that things are kind of changing financially, or at least I think that's what I heard when we first started in Canada, that that, that money is not there, and internationally. And yet, more docs seem to be being made today, which is kind of a quite an interesting paradox, really. That's right. And I think you touched on the reasons why earlier, you know, the technology is very different. When I started, um, you know, we were shooting 16 millimeter film. A magazine loaded with 16 millimeter film would last 10 minutes. <laughs> And it so would yeah, it would cost four hundred dollars wow. to buy that film <laughs> and process it up to the work print. So that wouldn't be ready to air, but that would be ready to to start cutting. 
Right. This is even before editing. Yes. You've just would, processed the film. That 10 minutes of film to, <clears throat> to process, to buy and process, forget about shooting it on the cost. Right, right. All would, the other stuff. Would, wow. Would be $400 wow. for okay. that 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, like you said, you pick up, pick up your iPhone now and shoot 10 minutes of in four In 4K. In 4K. And, and, and you get the beginnings of the film. Why not? So and well, know, and that... two, we're now back to that whole journalism thing, right? How things have changed. I interviewed a filmmaker a few years ago at TIFF. Um, um, Silver Blotter is the name of the film, and it was a Syrian filmmaker who had been um, um, barred from coming back to Syria, living in France. A woman on Facebook contacts him and says, "I'm here in Aleppo. I have a camera. Direct me." Isn't that great? <clears throat> and they made a movie together. Welcome to the it's future. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's a terrifying film. It's and it's it's all this. Uh, I mean, beautiful footage, but also just it's Facebook footage and YouTube footage and cell phone footage. From I mean, like really crummy stuff. But they put it together in such a way that's yeah. a real quite a beautiful moving piece. You know. So I think those two issues, you know, if the industrial model of international television documentary is changing, the reason I think it is for the best is because it opens up. I mean, it's not great for me. Right. right, but, right. Or not, not at the moment, but, but it's the end of one model and the beginning of others. I mean, I think it's, it reflects very much the, the changes in technology, but it also reflects the, the general crisis of our civilization. Hmm. You know, it's not a pleasant situation. Hmm. The world right now is in a, in, a, in a mess. The situation is quite desperate. And there are people who are very... Fukin, I believe, as Stephen <laughs> Colbert would say. Yeah. <laughs> and there are people who are very apocalyptic in, yes. their, when they, yeah. in their vision of this. And I think it's like with this other stuff. It's, it's a difficult and perhaps unpleasant situation. It's unfortunate. But it's also great. It's the end of a civilization. It's potentially the beginning of another <coughs> one. You know, it's, it's a, a transitional times, and they're, they're, they are difficult times. And um, the same for old farts like me, who, who grew up in one model of filmmaking and are... <coughs> Now facing the challenges of another, um, I think it's one. You know, it's like when literacy came in. You know, imagine there was a time not that long ago when most people weren't literate. If you wanted to write a letter, you would go to somebody. You'd pay them. They'd write the letter for you. Right. You needed something read. Right. They, you know, and then everybody learned to you know to read. And Gutenberg came along, and suddenly you say, well, everybody could be a writer. Yes, everybody could be a writer, and. I don't think that meant everybody became a writer. Right, right. right. And everybody, yeah. Not everybody became a good writer. Yeah, yeah. Right? But I think the level of appreciation of good writing went up. Because well, before at, there were 10 guys who could read. And look at the worlds and the perspectives uh, that it opened us up to, right? Yeah. I mean, remarkable, right, in, in, a, in, a, in a sense. Yeah, you're very hopeful, really. Oh, yeah. Which is great, which is wonderful. Consider, what did, you, did you call yourself an old fart earlier? I think yes, you might have. I did. Yeah. But you're still you're so not cynical at all, and I, I think that's really no. I'm wonderful. I'm a I'm a I don't know who came up with the phrase, but I'm a a short term pessimist and a long term optimist. Uh huh. Okay. You know, I think I'm quite realistic in my my assessment of how, the difficulties that we face in the next little while. But but yeah, I'm very it's good. optimistic. It's good. Um, so final question: um, When does the work on the documentary on Trump start? <laughs> Have you started research yet? <laughs> <laughs> there's been some good ones, and I'm sure there'll be oh, more. Oh, man. There's a few coming, I think. Yeah, that yeah. Is and there's been sure. some wonderful ones already. Oh, is that right, eh? Yeah. I don't, I don't, there's I don't. a great doc um, that was done a few years ago about the 
the Trump Scottish golf course conflict. Okay. And uh, worth viewing in, in the current well, situation. Well, there's certainly going to be a lot of material there. Yeah. I think yeah, the I mean, iPhone is going to come in. It's handy. like for comedians. It's, oh, it's, it's just a it's, rich field. It's unbelievable. Listen, Daniel, thanks for your time today. Daniel Zuckerberg from Real Time Images uh, here with us today on Face to Face. And um, yeah, we didn't get to aesthetic vegetarianism, but uh, perhaps in part two. In part two, then. Thanks very much. I'll think of something cool to say. Sounds good. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.